here, and this is Wrestling with the Future. Normally, you would see Jeff the Ref Robinson with me tonight, but I have a very special co-host. He is marvelous Mike the Movie Maker Messier. Hey, Mikey, how you doing? I'm doing great. I'm uh, really happy to be here. Uh, the Guiding Light is with me, uh, as always, uh, yeah. Angelo. And uh, we have got a very special guest. Why don't you tell everybody about him? Our guest tonight, ladies and gentlemen, is Sal Carrenti. He is the official autobiographer of Bruno San Martino, and he will be talking about his book, Bruno San Martino, the autobiography of wrestling's living legend. You'll join that conversation in progress in a moment. Mikey, let's talk for a moment about wrestling uh, this week. What, what happened this week in, uh, in our wonderful world of uh, sports? I hate that sports entertainment. What happened to wrestling? Well, the news is a little bit uh, old at this point, but they're building towards Drew McIntyre versus Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania over the WWE. Uh, most likely, they're going to get to a Roman Reigns uh, Fiend uh, championship match as well at WrestleMania. Of course, they're going to take a, a, a side tour into the Saudi Arabian shows, kind of the controversial Saudi Arabian shows where you'll be seeing Ricochet versus Brock Lesnar. Uh, probably more compelling for me, at least last night, on AEW... Cody Rhodes, or Cody, had to accept the 10 lashes from MJF, uh, Maxwell J. Friedman. A very old-school angle, a very emotional angle. People are praising uh, Cody for, for actually taking the lashes. MJF getting old-school heel heat. Uh, so I think that was probably the major storyline over there. And uh, they're looking towards that February 29th uh, AEW pay-per-view. It'll be Cody versus MJF. And Chris Jericho versus uh, uh, the former Dean Ambrose, now known as John Moxley. And uh, it should be quite interesting. It should be quite interesting to it see how this... It should indeed. It will, certainly should indeed. Will there well, Mikey, tell you what, without further ado, Mike, let's, uh, let's get into our conversation with Sal Carrenti, the author of Bruno San Martino, the autobiography of wrestling's living legend. Let's join that conversation in progress right now. There's Thunderfoot, a guy named Gene Ligon. Um, you know, they worked uh, in the Kansas City territory and NWA, you know. Um, he took a punch from Bruno when Bruno was a special guest referee in a match. And he came back. He said, oh, my God, Sal, you should have seen the bump this guy took for me. But when Gene right. came back, he was so proud of what he had done. You know, I mean, here's a 65-year-old guy knocking you out of your rear end, and he's thrilled to death over it. Yeah, exactly. Right. Bruno, right. <laughs> yeah, Bruno, Bruno didn't just didn't get that, but yeah, from that, I gotta tell you, Sal, I I uh, I knew Bruno. Uh, I I first met Bruno. I was a young kid. I was seven years old. I met him at the Philadelphia Arena, at the old arena at Forty Fifth and Market in Philadelphia, and uh, I met him there. I was a little kid. I was you know he was my hero. He he was my hero till till he passed. And as I got older and got to know him a little bit and would have lunch with him occasionally and uh, have dinner once in a while, whenever he was in, in our area, um, it was always a big thrill. Bruno had amazing stories. And I'll tell you one, and you probably know this, Sal, but I have never heard Bruno speak ill of anyone. I've never heard him cuss or utter a, a, a foul word. Uh, he was just always a class act. And 
And that transcended from my childhood into my adult years. Um, did you that's, that's say right. that? Was that always the case with you? I, I never, I never saw this man ever lose his cool. Well, you know, I, I think there's there was one incident where he probably where he probably lost his cool with this um, Mark Madden in Pittsburgh. But as far as just being a class act and conducting himself, now I will tell you there were a couple of times that you know people would just pester him to death, and he yeah. would let me know that. You know, and don't get me wrong. It's not that they asked the question one time. They asked it 10 times. Right. How many times are you going to say no before somebody understands this isn't an appearance you want to make? Yeah, sure. You know, so, so at that point, he would get a little frustrated. And he'd let me know, you better, you better let them know the next time there's going to be a different discussion. And, you know, so, so I did. And that was as close as you got to any, any kind yeah. of, of an issue. Yeah. Yeah, Sal, I, I read uh, quite a bit of your book. It's a, by the way, I want to tell everyone, once again, the book is Bruno San Martino, the autobiography of wrestling's living legend. It's the only authorized biography of Bruno, not only authorized by himself, but by, endorsed by, highly endorsed by and authorized by the family uh, of Bruno San Martino, his wife, Carol, and his kids. Um, well, the, uh, you know, one of the things I want to mention about the book before we get back to the original question, which we seem to have kind of swayed from, is the book comes in black and white and it comes in color. Um, color printing, of course, is extremely expensive, so the book is expensive. But what I will say is this. Um, the people that have bought it, the real Bruno fans, and, you know, some of the guys um, have been, you know, that I've met along the way, through social media, and, um, you know, then they in interacted with Bruno. Um, and I've gotten to meet a few of them in person. Mike Miggett out of Johnstown, PA. Uh, right. Benny Scala out of, uh, out of Florida are just a couple of guys that really have a, an amazing, um, you know, experience in their mind over the years of watching Bruno. You know, yeah. and uh, the these guys are true, true, true fans. And there are many others, I'm sure. Uh, Tony sure. Rock is another one. Oh, um, sure. These absolutely. guys are, are absolutely uh, brutal people. But uh, so those guys, I think some of them have the color version because the pictures, there's over 250 color pictures. And there's over yeah. 400 pictures. The book is uh, 568 pages long, yeah, which is pretty big for a book. And it could have been a thousand, sure but is. at some point we had to stop. Um, yeah, I'll tell you what, it, it's it's an amazing book. It's, you know, uh, you get a couple of these books and one in each hand and you can do curls with them. Yeah, I it's would, an amazing I, I would book. say that's true. Um, uh, so the, legacy, the legacy of the book is, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yes, well, Sal, go ahead, Mike Messier. Sal, this is Mike Messier, and uh, just as a writer myself, um, I am very fascinated by how this book has come to be your involvement because I want fans who are interested in Bruno San Martino to buy the right copy of the book because there are three editions of the book from my understanding. There's the 1990 edition, which I have, and that's before Bruno and you got together. Then there's like a 2004 edition, I believe, which you kind of improved, but there was so much more to tell. And what the great thing about your book is, Sal, 
that before Bruno passed, you were able to work with him, get this book twice as length, twice as long as it was originally, and this is the definitive edition, so to speak. So I just want to make sure that people get the right copy, the right edition, because it's the cover is is kind of a uh, a cover of Bruno kind of posing with his uh, shirt off, kind of in his wrestling trunks or his weight training trunks. It's not the prior edition, correct? That's, that's right. And Bruno picked the cover photo himself. He, he let me know, um, you know, early on that this was what he wanted on the cover. So that's what we went with. It's the thinker. It was one of Bruno's favorite pictures. So that's, that's what we went with. Um, so this is what I can tell you guys, how, how this all came about. So the original book was put out in Pittsburgh. I really knew very little or nothing about it. Um, supposedly, there were many copies sold in the Pittsburgh market only. My understanding it wasn't released anywhere else. Of course, there was no internet in those days, no Amazon or anything like that. So through some issues and battles, the book went out of print. Now, where it all started, I, I have one of these personalities that I can only listen to something for so long before I have to do something. I may not know what something is, but I, I you know, after I hear somebody complaining over and over and over, yeah. Okay, well, where, where are we going with this, right? And Bruno's sure. complaint was this. Bruno was all about the fans. When we'd made appearances, he wanted to make sure every fan got what they wanted, every fan was satisfied um, if he was going to come out and do it. Well, Absolutely. many fans would complain because the book, of course, was out of print. But what people would do is when they saw that Bruno was making an appearance, they'd throw the book on eBay for about four times the price, maybe three times the price. Sure. And, of course, when they got to get it signed, they complained to him like he was the one selling it on eBay. Of course, he wasn't. Right, but he felt right. very bad that people had to spend all this money. So, finally, I said, you know what, Bruno, this is what I'm going to do. And I was, you know, new to some of this stuff. I said, Bruno, I'm going to go buy the book myself. We'll invest a few hundred dollars, whatever we have to do to get a few copies. And I'm going to see if somebody can scan it into a Word document. So, <clears throat> that's that's what I did. And... Uh, at that point, I found somebody, I believe, in Raleigh, North Carolina. It wasn't anywhere near as bad a process as I thought, and it wasn't all that expensive. Obviously, it was several hundred dollars. It was a lot of work, but it was exactly what we needed. So I had uh, some uh, Brian Thompson out of the uh, Arkansas, Missouri area, and Brian Trammell that was doing um, wrestling. I wrote a blog for them for a while. I don't remember. He covered the Memphis Territory and, and some other stuff, but we put, we put the... Um, a book together. Brian was a fairly good editor, and uh, at the time I needed an editor. Um, the, the original, if you read the original book, Mike, that you have, you're going to see so many misspellings, and right. people were critical of that. And so Brian, at least, was able to get the book in, in a much better condition and correct a lot of the wrestlers' names and stuff like that to look like somebody actually cared about this book. But the goal was very simple. Have the fans stop complaining. So we put the book out. To be honest with you, we never thought about advertising it much. We never thought, you know, hey, maybe there's a ton of money to be made here. Um, it just wasn't what we did it for, right? And, right. and I didn't have a big, big obsession with it. So uh, we put it out there, and uh, I think it's been out there since about 2008, actually. And right. um, it's gone well. Every now and then Bruno would do an interview. I'd say, hey, Bruno, don't forget to mention the book. Oh, yeah. This wasn't something we were excited on. Now, sometimes uh, Michael Bocchicchio out at HighSpots.com, if he knew I was making an appearance with Bruno, he'd send me 100 books, and we'd have Bruno do uh, sign. Or if we had Bruno at a Wrestle Reunion appearance or something, Bruno sure. would sign copies of the book. 
you know, whatever right. it was. So, you know, we had some of those. Unfortunately, we weren't able to do that again with the new book before before Bruno passed. But yeah. eventually, Bruno did some interviews, and we just left it like that. Now, people, of course, had always complained that the real story wasn't told. He was still, you know, playing kayfabe. Of course, in 1990, he sure was. Um, well, he didn't really want to do anything about it, so I didn't do anything about it. He right. didn't want to write another book. He definitely did not want to write another book. That was out. So, right. okay. So when I heard him do an interview or two, I said, Bruno, listen, you said some things in the interview. I was a little surprised, and I'm just being very straight with you. He said, Sal, what, what do you want me to do at this point? What, what do you want me to do? Everybody's right, out there sure. talking. He said, you know, enough's enough. I'm not going to look like a jerk. Okay. So if that's the case, if you're ready to talk, then why don't we update the book? Do what people want. We'll yank everything well, out of there. And that brings up a point, Sal. Uh, you, whether you know it or not, you prompted uh, a question from me. You know, that brings up the point. Did playing kayfabe and, and people who knew Bruno knew that he kayfabe to the very end. Did was that a did that did that uh, end up being a detriment to him? You know, he played it so well. He was always the business. You loved him, liked him, or hated him. You, you always had to respect the fact that Bruno K. Fade, in other words, protected the business. But did that in the end end up costing him? Costing him in what way? Uh, costing him in reputation, in honesty, in uh, in forthrightness, truthfulness. If, if it did, neither he or I know about it. I mean, obviously, I guess everybody has an opinion. Um, but, you know, no one's ever said that to Bruno in front of me, and Bruno's never told me anybody said anything to him about it. And, uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I guess the bottom line yeah. is Bruno was always the guy that could 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 back everything up. You know, and um, maybe that's the difference. But no, I'm, I'm not aware of anything like that. I think the great thing about about the story of the book, and as a writer, I'm fascinated by it, Sal and Angelo, is because uh, your persistence, Sal, you're to be commended that you were on a friendly enough term with Bruno San Martino, the living legend, to shoot straight with him, to tell him that people weren't satisfied with the original 1990 version. You guys revisited it for the 2008 release, and then, as you were saying, you went back and added twice as much information. Uh, the stories were more developed. Uh, maybe Bruno loosened up. I think that's what you were getting to. Is that for this for this latest edition, the one the the the, the definitive uh, edition, and people will know because of the photograph you described on the cover. Uh, just look for the cover with Bruno without without his shirt on. And also, I believe the difference is on your version, Sal, the word the, the autobiography of Bruno Sermatino, right. Wrestling Living Legend. That's the difference. So look for the word the on the cover, everybody, in the subtitle, the autobiography, because it's definitive, meaning that this is the one to get. And uh, I'd just like to say, if I could, guys, that I was watching Bruno Sammartino versus Ernie Ladd today on YouTube, and I was thinking that what a time it must have been uh, for the fans, whether it was in New York, Philadelphia, uh, Boston Garden, the Capitol Center. It was like the, the champion, the defending hero, Bruno Sammartino, in this case, in that era, was really fighting uh, for the fans. The fans were living vicariously through the champion. 
and uh, a six foot nine Ernie Ladd. With uh, even at six foot nine, he's playing the you know the the chicken s heel, so to speak. It's just a different thing. And I was thinking that Bruno was such a guy that people were so uh, beloved, beloved to. Uh, compare that to a John Cena. Nothing against John Cena as an athlete, but I remember watching John Cena matches, and he wouldn't break a sweat. He made it look too easy. Meanwhile, Bruno Sammartino, who's got twenty thousand people that, there to see him. Uh, he's selling for Ernie Ladd, making Ernie Ladd look like a million bucks. And uh, it was just a different animal. And that's why people, young wrestlers, young wrestling fans, they need to study books like this Bruno Sammartino book by Sal Carrenti. They need to learn the history of the sport of professional wrestling because if you're just going to go based on the Roman Reigns, Seth Rollins, Baron Corbin things you're seeing today, you're not going to know how to do professional wrestling the correct way, in my opinion. Well, we um, we appreciate that, um, but you know, look, things do change over time, and, and sometimes we all just have to to understand that you know times change. I mean, I think sometimes in my mind, and I never really did bring this up to Bruno, but you know, there was a time when wrestling was all on the mat. So at some point, guys started backdropping each other. I mean, if you really think about it, yeah. going from never leaving the mat. And now these big hat backdrops on boxing rings and, and all this, yeah. right? So, so the business did progress, not to the point where it is today where everybody's an acrobat, but certainly, as you know, I was there in Allentown, right right close the first time the Tiger Mask fought Mr. Saito and dove out of the ring. I mean, the people were like, holy cow. It, you know, I mean, that was, to me, that was the, almost the shot heard around the world because from that moment, things started to slowly change, right? The snooker yeah. leap was one thing. This dive, uh, you, you know, outside onto the cement floor was something people had not, uh, you know, had not seen. Sure. But, uh, in, in regards to the different versions of the book, we are actually in control of all the versions that are on sale today um, via, via Amazon that are not the original version. And you'll see the original version is written by Bob Migalucci, and, uh, you know, that's it. Now, there are not many of those, and anything that's right. available out there has to be, whether it's eBay or Amazon, that book has been out of print for since 1990, so 30 years. Yeah. Um, anything else, the reason I've left the second edition, and like I said, I had written blogs and stuff like that. I added a few pictures and just a few pages. That's one thing. In this case here, you know, we ripped stuff out, we put stuff in, we added pictures, um, you know, we, we got uh, many of the wrestlers to, um, you know, to make um, statements in regards to, to Bruno, and um, which I thought was a nice touch. Most of them, pretty much everybody had worked with Bruno in some way, shape, or form, and, right. uh, you know, or was a close friend. Um, Davey O'Hannon is, is a great example. He's just a guy that oh, yeah. Bruno says, oh, you know Davey O'Hannon, don't say, well, Bruno, look, we were on a show once. Um, when I first started refereeing, but no, I don't really know him, to be honest with you. I didn't get to know Davey. I would only hear about him from Bruno yeah. um, when we drove down to the wake. Me, him, and J.J. Dillon took sure. the, um, a trip trip down. And, you know, uh, one of the stories that I that I do like to tell is uh, Nikita Koloff moved me to North Carolina from Yonkers, New York, um, got me a chance to uh, go to work for Nelson Royal and his company while oh, I was still sure. working for the, for the Crockett's. But, right. um, you know, I started full-time for Nelson, so I couldn't really do much for the Crockett's anymore anyway. Um, 
And when uh, when I started hanging out with Nikita, we had a show in Philadelphia at the Civic Center, and they were doing TV. And for whatever reason, Tommy Young was not booked, and uh, they did not want the referees that were assigned to work. So and they put me in there. And uh, this is about you know, 1987. This is 1987, yeah. Kissel, about uh, that? It was either 87 or 88. It was in that time frame because I moved to the Carolinas in 89, and it was before that. Okay. Um, there was, uh, they did two hours of TV. Whenever Dusty Rhodes fought Bob Eaton in the cage at the Philadelphia Civic Center, that's when it was. I'm the referee in the ring. It was January of 88, I believe. Okay. So, and everything that happened that night that was televised, which was two hours, was, was me. The other referees ended up doing the dark matches. Somewhere along the line, J.J. came to the ring for a six-man with uh, Tully Arn and Ric Flair. And he said, listen, are you doing okay, first of all, because I was having to do everything under the lights. And, and he said, you holding up okay? I said, yeah, I'm fine. He said, well, right. come see me afterwards. I got some stuff I want to book you on. So, <clears throat> you know, he gave me um, a half a dozen shots, Great American Bash. You know, they were long drives for me, but he said, I think you'll make good money. And we were selling out every place, so it was the least of my worries. But, right. Uh, you know, J.J. obviously helped me out several times, and, and I never really – well, first of all, I had no idea there was a relationship between J.J. Dillon and Bruno Sammartino. None. I didn't ever even – Oh, a know, very I, long relationship. Well, that's uh, right. A, I knew nothing of long, A long and deep relationship. And Bruno was very, very instrumental in J.J.'s career, not only his career, but uh, in, his, uh, in his level of pay. Bruno made sure J.J. actually got paid. There's no, there's no question. And I've discussed this with Bruno and J.J. many times. But at the time, I knew nothing. And finally, it hit me. You know, because I would talk to Bruno about it. And I'd say, you know, Bruno, I think that J.J. went out of his way to help me because he was paying it forward from you helping him. I mean, he didn't have to do anything. I mean, I did the TVs. I got paid. I got paid well. They didn't have to. He didn't have to do anything for me. Well, if he said, hey, make this town or don't make this town, whatever. But he, he did. He went out of his way to tell me, you know, that he was going to put me in these big shows. He did put me in the big shows. And I, I just believe that somewhere in the back of his mind, that he felt it was his time to pay it forward. Well, well so I'll tell you what, Sal. Very close. You know, uh, you mentioned a couple of names here that are uh, very close to me and very close to this show. J.J. Dillon being one of them. Davey O'Hannon being another. I know Davey very well. Uh, I actually had him on as one of my first guests on the show. And oh, wow. There's, there's no question. In fact, if, I'll send you the link to that interview uh, uh, when we conclude this interview. Uh, but Davey uh, spoke so glowingly, so highly of Bruno. Uh, in fact, Davey, dare I say, so, basically said, were it not for Bruno, I would not be here. He was the first guy to book Davey in Japan. He was the first guy to protect Davey from the promoters. Uh, you know, you know, Sal, that all the wrestling promoters are honest, decent men, right? You know that. Oh, yeah. You kidding? Salt to the earth. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, and, and Davey speaks so highly of Bruno and its protective nature of the boys, you know, and, uh, and I have to tell you, uh, you know, Davey was very emotional in the interviews with him. He, he just 
you know, he spoke about that last day when he found out that Bruno had passed and just, you know, he just kind of like let himself go. And uh, to his credit, you know, I will tell you that, that this, there's no questioning that this is loyalty to Bruno was beyond reproach. And he no, is, I, again, I would agree. A friend of mine and a friend of this show. And uh, in fact, we have we have him on in two weeks. For well, his, great, uh, and you, you know, I was very, very happy, especially getting to know Davey. We went to a. Uh, if you look through the big book, there's a picture of us at Rico's restaurant after the wake. We went over there because we wanted to uh, to go to Bruno's favorite place, and they had a table. There's a picture in the book of the table set up in his memory. The same table him and Carol would sit in all the time, and um, yeah. You know, because uh, I went there with Bruno the week he met Bruno Mars. Um, we were doing a private signing in Pittsburgh. We were supposed to do another one, but of course we yes. never were able to, to get to to get to another one. Yeah, and and I just want to tell the backstory there. You know, uh, uh, phenomenal entertainer Bruno Mars. For those of you who don't know, was actually named after Bruno San Martino. Uh, Bruno's Bruno Mars' father was a big wrestling fan. And when Bruno Mars was born, uh, and they said, well, what are you going to name this child? And he looked at this kid that was kind of a butterball when he was born, and he said, he looks like a little bruiser. Uh, he looks like a, a little Bruno. <laughs> so we're going to call him Bruno. Hence the name Bruno Mars was born. And um, what I will tell you is this. Um, you know, look, just for anybody who really knows Bruno, if everybody had just forgotten about him and went about their business in life, Bruno would have been okay with that. But that that just wasn't ever going to be the case. Well, yeah. when they wanted to, when they called him about going down there, and I told him, I said, Bruno, if I knew you were going down there, I would have came to town a couple of days earlier myself. Um, I, I wouldn't have minded meeting the guy. I said, but um, you do know this guy called you a big fat wrestler. On <laughs> he said, so I, I, I was prepared. So. Uh, you know, he went down, he met him, and, and he, that was fantastic. He spoke to he spoke to Bruno's father, so I'm sure that was a very emotional thing for the father. Um, but he said, he said, hey, listen, I want, you to, uh, I want you to see the big fat wrestler you were named after. And, of course, Bruno took out a picture of him as prime, and he just said, I'm so sorry. I just didn't know. And, yeah. uh, you know, but, but Bruno, because well, he had never forgotten because he had heard that. And, yeah. uh, and he never forgot it. I would have laughed when I was... Uh, when I was there, or if I it's if a, I had been there, that's a great story, Sal. It really is. Sal, let me ask you about uh, Colin Bowman. He was the uh, the final edit on this book. How important was Colin uh, in the the final the final edit, and, and what went in, and what didn't, and what made the cut? Um, well, uh, let me say, and, uh, you know, Jimmy Hart and I in the mouth of the South are extremely close. Um, we have been, um, since January of 2005, so it's 15 years now. Uh, we were on a show together in Memphis. I asked him to do the, and I don't know what you guys know about my background, but I used to put on conventions, a company called Wrestle Reunion. Um, we sure. did some of the biggest conventions there were, and, um, Diamond Dallas Page, who I've also had a very long relationship with, kept insisting that I was an idiot if I didn't book Jimmy Hart, and I was an idiot if I didn't book Jimmy Hart. And I had worked with Jimmy a few times over the years, but he didn't remember me, and I wouldn't even expect him to. Um, so finally, to be honest with you, Paige doesn't let anything go if you know Diamond. 
So I said, enough's enough. I started calling the guy. He wouldn't call, but I was calling like every day. Finally, his wife said, hey, look, um, you know, I'm sure you, you need to call this guy because he doesn't stop calling. So yeah. Jimmy basically declined and said he wasn't going to do it. Well, then I called Lance Russell to do the TV commentating, and Lance Russell refused to do it unless Jimmy did it. So we ended up being booked on the same thing in uh, Memphis. I had brought Stan Lane with me up there, and he was supposed to team up with uh, Steve Kern and uh, – and Jackie Fargo, oh, not Jackie, I'm sorry, Corey Macklin, but uh, Steve couldn't make it for whatever reason, so it was Corey and Jackie and, and, and Stan. Um, but I cornered Jimmy and said, look, are you going to do this thing for me or not? And he said, no, not. And then, you know, But I talked to him for five minutes, finally said, okay, I'll do it. So um, he started talking to me about Tom Bowman, who I didn't know. I didn't, I didn't know him at all. And, you know, I just said, look, I got enough on my mind. So, you know, bringing in somebody who's – with Colin Skilt, first of all, who knew if it was even true, quite honestly. Yeah. But eventually I listened to Jimmy, I met Colin, and uh, you could see that he was just really great at every aspect of everything. Once I met him, there were no more Wrestle Reunion events without Colin Bowman, whether we did him in L.A. Or, any, or anything else. Whatever we did, Colin was a part of that because he's just a guy who's good at most things. Well, right. when I was looking for somebody to really do the final edit on this book, I went a couple of different routes that didn't work out. Finally, finally it occurred to me, and believe me, it took far too long to occur to me, that Colin was the guy. As a matter of fact, I called Jimmy Hart and said, hey, Jimmy, I finally got an editor for the book. And he said, oh, really? Who's that? And I said, you can't guess? Oh, Colin. Yeah, right. But he was right, he was right under my nose the whole time. Um, what I will say is this. I weigh it, Colin's opinion extremely heavily, sometimes more than my own. Um, final decisions, of course, were all mine. But I want to tell you, as a general rule, if Colin suggests something or thinks something right or wrong, for me to override Colin Bowman, I have to really be passionate, or it has to be the direction that I had gotten from Bruno. He didn't want this or he didn't want that, period. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, generally, I'll take Colin's opinion and, and just run with it because it's – Matter of fact, I can sit here and tell you one bad piece of advice Colin's ever given me. Well, I'll tell you what: if if you uh, if you have not read the book Bruno San Martino, the autobiography of professional of wrestling's living legend, I will tell you that you are missing out on a piece of wrestling history. It's an amazing book. The pictures are just phenomenal. I, by the way, uh, Sal, I have the black and white version. So, uh, and, and it was given to me. Uh, it's an amazing book. Um, I will tell people that it is still available. It's st and it's still in print. Uh, uh, well, it'll, it'll, well, it won't. It won't be unavailable. It'll be there now, probably till I'm after I'm long gone. Um, you know, there's no reason to, to ever make it unavailable. And to be honest with you, I was advised the the, the version that Mike spoke about where I added some pages and it was just changed up a little bit um, yeah. that has the wrestle and riot online, which is the version those guys put out. I was advised to take it down, but to be quite honest with you, I said, for what, why, why take it down? And much to my surprise, almost every month, two or three of those books are sold. So I don't know if people want to see the comparison of the old to the new, um, but that book is actually still selling as well. Certainly nowhere near, um, what the other books are selling, but people still seem to want it. So hey, why take hey, it down? Hey, Sal, this is Mike again. And, uh, you know, sometimes people are so uh, voracious 
with their desire to own every piece of wrestling history, whether it's book, DVD, T-shirt, uh, action figure. Uh, so I can see why that would happen. But I wanted to ask you, because we have you here, and this is a rare opportunity for fans, and just for the fans that don't know that much about Bruno Sammartino, try to imagine uh, John Cena, Roman Reigns, or, or uh, any of today's wrestlers holding a championship for two title reigns. Well, you can imagine that. But can you imagine those two title reigns lasting 11 years? You probably can't. And Bruno Sammartino defeated Buddy Rogers in May of 1963, I believe, held the title for seven and a half years before losing to Ivan Koloff. You could hear a pin drop in Madison Square Garden, they say, when Ivan Koloff beat Bruno Sammartino. And then uh, you had a couple of years where Pedro Morales had the title, Stan Stajak had the title for eight days, and Bruno beat Stan, and, and Bruno had the title for another four years. And, and that type of longevity... Uh, you couldn't see one of today's wrestlers holding that. But here's my question for you, Sal. Having established yourself as a personal friend, a confidant of Bruno Sammartino, is there anything about him, uh, a personality quirk or something that was just kind of funny or enjoyable about spending personal time with Bruno at the restaurants and working on these projects? Is there anything about Bruno that maybe uh, you wouldn't feel that you're breaking confidence and sharing with as many fans? Maybe something that... He had an interest or, a, or a, a favorite color or a favorite food that maybe we just wouldn't know about unless you told us. Um, well, what I can tell you is um, when we went to Rico's, I don't know if you guys have been to Rico's, but if you haven't, and you, if and when you get to Pittsburgh, you need to go tell me what the Bruno San Martino meal. Um, I will tell you the interesting story. of the, um, the first time he brought me to Rico's, of course, I had heard about it forever. Um, but um, when I came to Pittsburgh for the signing, we went to Rico's. And the one thing that um, bothered Bruno greatly, and this is why I corrected it at the wake, um, you know, a lot of times I'm, I'm not a silly actor or anything like that. Um, I do have a, a, a sensitivity that if I eat too much um, wheat or flour, you know, I, I start to get bothered. But, um, you know, again, it's not, it's not a silly act disease. But when I hear a place has gluten-free pasta, I'm going to get it. Well, Bruno wanted to buy me a steak. I mean, it was just, it seemed to be an obsession. And, uh, but I got the gluten-free pasta and he said, are you sure you don't want a steak? I mean, I'm halfway through my meal. <laughs> I said, Bruno, I'm good. Um, but on the way back to the house, Sal, the next time you come to town, we're going back to Rico's and you're getting a steak. Uh -huh. Period. No more of this other That's nonsense. That's funny. And, and so when me and JJ and uh, Davey went back, I had to go back and, and get a steak because I just had to, you know, do that because it seemed so important to him that I have a meal. Now, one of the things they're going to bring out, if you said you want what Bruno would normally get, you would end up getting um, a bunch of figs. I had never, even though I'm Italian, no restaurant that I ever went to served figs. Uh, oh, my God. Oh, brother, you're missing out. Huge. Yeah, no, it was, it was great. Um, but I'd never been to a restaurant that ever offered figs, period. So it wasn't something that I that I did. But, um, you know, to me, that was something that that I'll probably remember the rest of my life. I mean, if he, I don't know how many times. It had to be at least 10 times that he asked me, did I want a steak? And, you know, I just told the guys, I said, look, I don't know what you guys want to do. You want to go back to the hotel? You want to do whatever it is, um, but I have to go to Rico's. So, no, no, we're all going to go to Rico's. So, you know, we did. 
and uh, and there's pictures of that in the book with Rico there, and you know the maitre d there that that knew Bruno and and so forth. But no, Bruno was a pretty straight up guy. The only thing I will tell you is he really didn't like being on the road. Um, yeah. I'm very blessed, and and other interviewers have asked me, you know, just point blank, why me? And I said I don't, you know, I I can't tell you why me. Um, because I don't know, but, you know, um, we developed a relationship early. He trusted me and, um, you know, we, I represented him on appearances for close to 20 years and, um, you know, it all just went, went totally. Well, I, I think I can answer that. Uh, having known Bruno a little bit, I can tell you unequivocally, Sal, that Bruno was a keen judge of character. He, he had this almost like psychic ability, and I hate to use that word, but he he had this innate sense of who was good and decent and who was not. And he knew when he was being bullshitted. Yeah, I don't I don't do that. I'm I'm actually very, very, very direct. Um, no no BS, whatever I tell you is what I whatever you know, what if I can do it, I'm gonna tell you I can. If I can't, I'm gonna tell you I can't. Yeah, and that's, exactly. uh, that's the end of it. But um, for being on the road, he didn't he didn't sleep. As a matter of fact, I was just telling uh, Michael Bacchio from High Spots the other day. I mean, when we were on the road, if we were supposed to do something at seven, if I was started heading down to his room at six six forty five, he might he would probably be looking out the window of the room to see where I was. Um, you know, it's just just his way. Yeah, and. Uh, you know, he couldn't sleep on the road. And for our last appearance, we were both in the lobby at 5 a.m. We did the big event in New York for um, uh, Tommy Younger. And, uh, you, you know, that was uh, a pretty massive uh, pretty massive crowd there. And uh, at 5.30, I think we were in the lobby. We went to eat breakfast. His son, Daryl, was with us. We did the, the last private signing for Michael from High Spots. Um, the, uh, I believe we did it the night before. And uh, when it was all when it was all said and done, uh, right. he, we finally went to eat, and he said, "Are we ready to go?" I said, "Well, yeah, we're ready to go, but go where? Where, where are we going? I mean, the event don't start for hours." Um, but you know, he just he wasn't a guy who could rest on the phone. He just yeah. um, he just he just couldn't do it. So um, you, you know, that was the only uh, that was the only thing. The only other the only other thing that really stands out as, as a kind of always and forever thing is he did not want to do anything on shows after a certain point where he was beating these guys up and he just didn't want to do that period. Yeah. Um, you know, it was, but it was, it wasn't about not wanting to cooperate. It was about, um, just not trying to take the shine away from guys who were trying to build a career. You know, he exactly. really felt he had his time. He had made these appearances, and he was okay to make them from time to time. But that right. was it. Where you know, where he did offer me some consolations. Uh, Wrestle reunion one in January of two thousand and five. Bruno did not travel in the winter period. Right. Um, he just did, he just didn't do it. But you know, he came there for me. He came to L.A. for me. Um, when we did Wrestle Reunion, maybe 2010, uh, right. we did it in 2010, 11, and 12, whatever it was, he came and he had been sick. And the doctor told him to cancel the trip. He said, I can't. And he said, I can't for this guy. And he told me when he got there, he said, Sal, for no one else am I here. Because first of all, he didn't want to travel cross country anyway. 
Yeah. Um, you know, but I remember those things because I'm so appreciative because I'm like, why me? You know, yeah. I mean, that's kind of because to me, like I used to, I used to tell him and his sons used to tell him, Bruno, you just don't get it. You know, you're Bruno San yeah. Martino. Big deal. You're South Corinthians. What does that yeah, mean? Yeah, that was said, lost Bruno, on you'll him. Never get it. That right. was that was really lost on him. I don't think I I don't think he fully comprehended, nor did he realize the impact that he had on people's lives. And uh, you mentioned um, his Daryl, David, and uh, and Darren. Uh, um, well, it was, it was da Daryl and Danny were the twins, and Danny, you know, has since passed away, of course. Right. Um, you know, which was horrible. Um, you know, it really, it really was. Um, but, what relationship did he have with his, with his, you know, his relationship with David has been much maligned and uh, much publicized by the, uh, the wrestling mark community. But we don't, we never know what happens behind closed doors, and you don't know what happens you know, between father and son and the family dynamic. There. What was instinctively or instinctively that was the wedge that stopped father and son from, from speaking. Well, I, I have to say that's a, that's a topic that I'm, I'm not, um, I'm not free to discuss. Um, you know, and we, we didn't talk about David very much. Of course, David, um, you know, worked for me several times. Uh, there's ref matches on the internet. Me, I think referee and matches he was in. If not, I was certainly booking. Um, right. You know, booking the thing. Um, um, there wasn't, you know, again, it's not a topic that I'm willing to discuss. Okay. Uh, the I only thing I will say I, is, I, um, I, Mikey, no, no, no problem. Well, I, I, I guess it's a, it's a, it's a fair enough segue just to say that if people wanted to see a recent interview with David San Martino, uh, your good friends and my good friends, Monty and the Pharaoh recently interviewed David. So if people do have an interest in how David's doing uh, in the last you know six months or so, Monty and the Pharaoh uh, out of uh, your neck of the woods there, Angelo, recently interviewed him. So if people want to do further That's research. True. Yeah. Uh, uh, I wanted to ask Sal a question, um, just kind of opening things up a little bit, Sal. As someone who's been around the pro wrestling industry, the business, uh, so to speak, for so many years, why do you think that the nostalgia of guys like Sweet Stan Lane, you know, beautiful Bobby Eaton, uh, Jim Cornette, controversial, but people still go to his opinion, uh, Vince Russo is controversial, Eric Bischoff, Bruce Pritchard, all these guys that either be in front of the camera, behind the camera, the wrestlers, of course, themselves. I was very good friends with Ox Baker. And, uh, you know, a film that I did with Ox Baker will be played in North Carolina in two weeks. So at the, the Mad Monster Party Festival on uh, February 15th. So my question for you, Sal, is what is it about professional wrestling that fans never let go of their heroes? And they still, after 20, 30, 40 years, they come to these conventions. What has got us hooked so bad, Sal? Well, I mean, so it's good. not just around. Well, it's not just around professional wrestling. I mean, I've worked with um, the Hollywood Collector Show in Los Angeles. Matter of fact, that's where I really learned the convention business through Ray and Sharon Courts out of uh, Spring Hill, Florida. But they were the first ones to actually take the step forward um, using the Beverly Garland Holiday Inn. Beverly Garland was an actress 
And um, she was one of the only people to actually have her name on a Holiday Inn because she was a big deal out there in what was the countryside almost in those days when she bought the hotel. But they taught me the convention business. And they started out, if you remember, the old Superman TV series with Robert Shane, who played Inspector Henderson, one celebrity. And it grew into eventually having 100 or so celebrities. Right. Um, and, you know, people from all ages and, you know, from Gilligan's Island to... Um, you know, some of the more modern shows to leave it to Beaver, you you name it. All these TV and movie legends, Mickey Rooney used to come all the time. Margaret O'Brien still comes, the Academy Award winner um, for when she was a child actress. And I mean, sure. there, there's more names that I can name it, the little rascals, you name it. These people are all there and people turn out. And, uh, you know, the ones that really engage really make you feel you know, good, because these are people you watch your whole life, and many of them still yeah. look totally recognizable. Some don't. Oh, Who, sure. Who's to say? But if you remember your youth, um, you know, Henry Winkler comes to these things on a regular basis. It's, you know, engaging with Fonzie is like a big deal. You know, um, Larry Hagman did the show for us many times. I, last time I saw Larry, we shared a limo ride in Chicago. You, you know, it's uh, it's just one of those things. People from your youth. You know, there's a guy in the book, his name's Richie Janitone. He used to play in my father's band. And for years and years and years, he told stories of Bruno coming to his grandmother's home. And uh, um, I believe it was his grandmother's home. If it wasn't, it was a relative. But, I mean, this story went on and on and on and on forever. And, uh, you know, finally I said, hey, Bruno, not for nothing. But there's a friend of mine. He says that, you know, when you wrestled in Yonkers, which in the 60s was an outdoor ball field called the Wall Memorial Field, we called it the Glen. And he said, uh, oh, whose house did they say I went to? And I said, a guy named Cashmere Sabatini. And he said, Cashmere? He said, yeah, yeah, I was there. He said, uh, some people from where I come from in Italy asked me if I would stop by when I was in Yonkers, so I would stop by after the matches. And uh, when I knew that I was bringing Bruno to Yonkers for the last time, we got Richie, who is at this point about 65 years old, and uh, he was just he was just a little boy at the time. But he came right. down, and he was waiting at the restaurant. And uh, there's a picture of him in the book, and there's a picture of him with Bruno. And he showed the pictures. This was the first time I had ever seen the pictures, right? Up until then, it was a story. Of course, Bruno confirmed the story, but yeah. it was still just a story. And then uh, what I didn't know, and, and Richie had never said, was Bruno said, hey, Sal, look, Tony Marino's in here, too. He came with me, the Batman, if you remember Tony Marino. Sure. And so Richie was just a little boy, about 10 years old. Bruno was holding him up. They were clearly in the house. And this is just the kind of impact I think that you guys are talking about. Right. When we left the restaurant, yeah. you know, Richie stayed the whole night, of course. And, uh, you know, this is our neighborhood place that we've eaten at for years and years. Bruno's been there numerous times. And uh, when we walked out, he said, Sal, the guy was crying. I didn't know what to do. And that's just the, the emotion of, yeah. you know, meeting a guy who, you know, the 10-year-old boys watching Bruno on TV probably every week. Then Bruno actually walks into a relative's home, is hanging out with him, picking him <laughs> up, playing with him. And then, like, 50 years later, or 50 or 55 years later, here he is again. You, you know, and it, it yeah. was just... Oh, it was just over overwhelming, you know. At a certain well, point. you know, he had that effect on people. And the one thing that always surprised me, and I, I believe it or not, Sal, I've actually borne witness to that myself on a couple of occasions. You know, uh, I first met Bruno, as I said, as a child. I was like seven. The second time I met him, funny story, 
uh, I was working in the casino business in Atlantic City. And Bruno was there for the greatest sports legends banquet, if you remember that. Yes, sir. I sure do. Okay. And I met Bruno and, and Carol that night. And I talked to him you know, on the floor, on the casino floor. It had to be an hour and a half. Just talking about music and Italy and food and never discussed wrestling one time. And he loved to talk about everything but wrestling. He seemed to, like, shy away from it for some odd reason that I never really could figure out. Uh, he didn't, never liked talking about matches. He didn't like talking about the old days. Uh, he loved talking about his family, his mother and father, growing up in Italy, how, how hard it was for him. Uh, but, and, and on that subject, I want to encourage everyone to watch the film called La Mia Mama. It's uh, Bruno returning to Italy, to his, uh, his birthplace in Pizza Ferratu, Italy. Uh, and, and Bruno and I struck up a, a friendship that night. And uh, I was there at uh, Bruno San Martino Day. In Swedesboro, New Jersey, when he was awarded a citation and had lunch with him that afternoon and had dinner with him that evening. And it was just he and I and two other folks. And it was, he was just a wonderful, wonderful guy that loved to converse and, and didn't really fully, as you said, Sal, he just didn't realize the impact he had on people. No, he would, sometimes he'd laugh. He said, I know, Sal, I don't get it. Um, you know, but his kids would tell him, the, you know, the same thing. And, and he really, honest to God, he was so humble, he, he didn't get it. Now, at the same time, he understood what he could do and what he couldn't do. And, and you know, to go back to the titles, um, you know, there's been a lot of great champions, uh, you know, and everybody can have an opinion who the best was, this, that, and the other. This is what I know. This is what I know for a fact. One. I'm not aware of any other champion, any other champion, who said, either take the belt away from me or I'm quitting with the belt, period. Now, yeah. that, that was the first thing. Yes, right? sir. Okay. So that's, that never happened. When the, the second time came around, um, Vince Sr. and Vince Jr. flew to Pittsburgh to ask Bruno to come back. Now, common sense tells you, they didn't fly to Pittsburgh to ask him to come back because everything was great. They felt they were in trouble. They felt the business was going backwards. I don't care what anybody says. Absolutely. And, you know, sometimes we'd have that conversation. And right. Bruno wasn't on the same. But I say, Bruno, remind me again. Where was the meeting? It was in Pittsburgh or it was at LaGuardia? He said, South. It was Pittsburgh. They came. I said, That's right, Bruno. Just remember, the meeting was in Pittsburgh. Right. They came to you him. Know, he, that, that's right. Now, with that, with that being said, there were two things. One, when Bruno came back in the 80s to, to work with David, um, and the rings had graduated from a boxing ring to, a, to what he, he considered a trampoline. And, of course, I don't yeah. care that even the rings of today, these rings are not built for what we do. Um, you know, eventually I morphed into a wrestler, and I didn't have a lot of matches, maybe 100 or so, whatever. But the bottom line is it only takes one. And Bruno, I think, when he got in the back, he said, guys, if we had rings like this in my day, 
he said, I, w- I would have never even had to, to, to take time off. He said, I would have been champion 12, 15 years straight. Sure. Um, <laughs> you, you know, the other thing is this. I am not aware of any card in the garden where Bruno was the main event, where there was somebody brought in to help draw. Exactly. Many times over the years, you know, again, these numbers don't lie. Many times Bruno was added as a special attraction. Well, why is that? If the, if the champion is is draw is keeping the house in, in order, why are we bringing in special attractions? Well, if um, you're bringing Bruno in because Bob Backlund can't draw, that should tell you something. Well, and it, look, I don't want to single out Backlund. He's not, he's not the only oh, person. That's, um, yeah, that's but, just one name, Sal. That, that, that's right. But that's, that's a fact. And, you know, look, wrestling promoters don't like to be wrong. And I will tell you that at some point Bruno got a little bit upset because a promoter would call and say, hey, I heard Vince sold out the garden last night. Backlund was on top. And they said, they didn't tell you I was there? No, they said Backlund was in the main event. Well, Backlund was in the main event. But sure. Bruno's matches would be a special added attraction, so it wasn't the main event. Now, again, if the champion is drawing, you know, we're not even talking about a situation where Bruno had to be a substitute. There were many scenarios where Bruno had, they needed him as a substitute. And, uh, you know, the honky-tonk man in the book uh, talks about those times when Bruno had to step in for somebody um, yeah. and, and, and go on the road and and so forth and uh, things like that. No disrespect to anybody, but Bruno, the secret to Bruno is this, and, and this is where I, I just don't think anybody else really embraced this. In Bruno's mind, he was the guy that was going to be there. He was going to have to go to the Garden every month. He was going to have to go to all these other clubs, Boston, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, month in and month out. So what he did was he adjusted his style to meet his opponent. And, you know, he was saying, if if I worked with Mike Cicluna, who everybody remembers, you know, at a certain age, you remember Mike Cicluna as an enhancement talent for TVs and and, and so forth. But if you go back to the 60s, you know, Mike was a legitimate contender, right? And Mike did a lot of high spots. So he'd do high spot stuff with Mike. If it was a Don Leo Jonathan or a Big Bill Miller or somebody like that, he would do he would do strongman stuff. If it was somebody that he could wrestle with, then he would wrestle. So it was always something different. Um, the other thing that that he would do, and, and this is referenced, you know, uh, in the book, is from time to time, guys like um, Bull Ramos, um, maybe Tank Morgan, a couple of these other a couple of these other guys that promoters asked to to be able to work in the garden. Well, Bruno did not feel that these were guys, but they were big. Most of them were big, huge guys, right? Yeah. So he, you know, these promoters wanted Vince to do them a favor. So Bruno said, "So I went along." He said, "As long as it was just one time around, because people needed to see me beat somebody without, you know, program return, program return, program return." Sometimes I would just go out and just beat somebody, and and that's it. So what Bruno did was he made it where he wasn't repetitive over and over and over and over the same thing because right. these other guys were leaving the, leaving the territory. Plus, Bruno had a lot of input into who his opponent. Like, he went to Japan. He, he ran into one of, uh, one of his favorite opponents and a guy he spoke of often, very often. As a matter of fact, when I brought him up to New York and we were going to do some stuff, he was going to uh, 
I'll be doing an interview with John Layfield, and I told him, Bruno, if there's one guy that you want to ask about Bobby Duncan, it's Layfield. So he did. I, and I asked him, I said, did you talk to him about it? He said, I absolutely did. He brought me up to speed. Uh, but Bruno discovered Bobby in Japan. And he had yes. never heard of him before. Sure. And uh, sure. he said, do you want to come to New York? And he said, right. oh, geez, that'd be great. He said, well, give me your number. He said, Vince McMahon will be calling you. And then when he got back, Vince really wasn't very interested. Um, yeah. He said, look, I never heard of the guy. It doesn't matter if you've heard of him. I've, exactly. I've seen him. I'm telling you, we can make money. Oh, God, we, we, we heard story after story like that from Davey O'Hannon. Absolutely. So Bobby comes in. The one thing, though, he said, Sal, I had to remember before he went out on TV to say, listen, this is not Texas. He said, you go out there. He said, you can't give this guy any because, of course, the territory was a little different, right? He said, yeah. you, you can't give this guy anything. This is not, this is not you know, these other territories. You've just got to go in and eat them up. And, um, you know, because that's what, that's what happened in those days. So, yeah. Sal, <laughs> Mikey and I heard a story uh, involving Bruno and superstar Billy Graham. Uh, it was at a time when uh, Bob Backlund was champion. Uh, and Bruno and, and Superstar, who had a cordial relationship, a professional relationship, um, both, uh, as it goes, conspired to try to hold up Vince Sr. Uh, and basically and threaten him with leaving the company they didn't take the belt of Bob Backlund. Do you know any, uh, anything about that? The validity of it? Yeah. No, sir. No, it was never. It was never discussed um, between me and Bruno. Bruno, I would have thought would have would have brought that up, but uh, no, no. And uh, as far as I know, Bob and and Billy were cordial um, relationship. We were on a show one time in uh, Manchester, Connecticut, and uh, you know, Bob and Billy were fine. Um, that's that's all the. Uh, you know, I know I don't. I didn't have a lot of interaction with um, with Backlund. Uh, he never, you know, I could not get him to appear at my Wrestle reunion events. He would just wouldn't yeah. do it. I but, should say you know, for the record that superstar Billy Graham is a is a personal friend of mine. And, fair enough. And I will tell you that he's none too happy with Bob Backlund. But yeah. that's between superstar oh, yeah. and Backlund. Understood. The story I was telling you was at least 20 years ago. Um, yeah. You know, um, I, I was broken into the business by Alpha and Seek of the Wild Samoans. Um, oh, there sure. was a couple of couple of guys, uh, Mike Devanzo and Dominic Marcello, that had used to come and take pictures of the guys and stuff and sell them at the garden. And, you know, they knew everybody, including Hulk Hogan, you know, in his first run through. And um, they introduced me to Hulk and Alpha and Seeker basically trained me to the extent that I got trained, put me in the business, and uh, we're still still friends to this day. And of course, Bruno um, was a big fan of of those guys too. So um, you know, we talk about talk about those guys. I remember, um, you know, Alpha would would tell me, you know, we worked with Bruno and you know we went flying all over the place for him. But I, I remember Bruno telling me, he said, Sal, I, I didn't want him to do that. He said, those guys were big, rough-looking guys. He said, you yeah. know, I didn't want them flying over for me. He said, I wanted to build them. So even by the late 70s, Bruno knew that, you know, in his mind, his time was over. And, sure. uh, you, you know, he would have rather, um, you know, made these guys look 
it looked tough. But again, like everybody else, they were so proud that they went flying all over the ring for him. Well, and, you know, so it was just a whole different thing. Isn't it interesting that Bruno, by the late 70s, he was saying things about his own career, but obviously the Larry Zbysko feud that so many people have as a hallmark of their lives uh, from a fan's standpoint, and obviously that made Larry Zbysko's career what it was, uh, that Shea Stadium match and uh, the chair shot heard around the world of Zbysko uh, smashing a, a wooden chair over Bruno's head. And uh, so Bruno, Bruno was even wrestling... Deep into, he appeared at WrestleMania 2. He was in the Battle Royal, along with Pedro Morales in Chicago. He was in the wrestler uh, football Battle Royal. Uh, although Bruno probably wasn't, it wasn't Bruno's favorite time of his career. He did have an action figure, an LJN action figure, which I had. A lot of people had the Bruno LJN figure. And uh, it was a good-looking figure, too. And uh, Bruno... Bruno was kind of on the periphery as a commentator of that rock and wrestling connection, 85, 86. Uh, but when Paul Orndorff turned against Hulk Hogan, there was Bruno San Martino wrestling Paul Orndorff at house shows, wrestling Roddy Piper at house shows uh, in 1985 and 1986, and wrestling Randy Macho Man Savage. I mean, the, the famous Steamboat uh, Savage match from, I believe, February of 87, well, who, uh, who interviewed Macho Man Randy Savage afterwards, Bruno San Martino, they got into a tussle, and the next thing you know, you have Bruno versus Macho Man Randy Savage at house shows leading up to WrestleMania 3. So, I mean, that that's uh, quite a career. And uh, what we didn't really talk about so much, Sal, a little bit, was just Bruno's humble upbringing, you know, hiding from the Nazi soldiers uh, during World War II, his mother valiantly getting food for the family. Uh, that story is just so profound. The love and respect that Bruno, he cherished his mother because of how she was a survivor and how she helped their family uh, merely survive. If it wasn't for the strength of Bruno's mom, there wouldn't be no Bruno San Martino and possibly no world wrestling entertainment as we know it today. Um, I, I would say that that's um, very accurate. Bruno's mother was his hero. Um, the climb down, if you see this movie that um, Angel was talking about, the, uh, the, the movie is, um, you, you know, well, a lot of the story of the, of the mother and, and what she went through. This mountain was, you know, uh, an amazing thing to be able to climb down and climb back up. I can tell you right now, my mom, no matter how much desire she had, I don't think she could have went through this. And, of course, Bruno con contracting rheumatic fever which ultimately yeah. is, is what he died from. They say, unless something else kills you first, if you have rheumatic fever, you will die from rheumatic fever. Most people don't make it to 65. True. Uh, Bruno, because he was in such great shape, um, did did make it longer. But there's no question, Bruno's mom was his hero. There's no oh, way to put that. Um, and what, what she did was was beyond my comprehension. Um, you know, they were almost uh, killed up there by Nazi soldiers. I mean, the whole thing was crazy. But listen, I, I just want to address um, Bruno wrestled um, Zabisco, and of course, that was to give Larry the bump he needed on Bruno's way out. Um, it was a great idea. Um, you know, they, they did it well. Uh, Vince McMahon Sr. really wanted it to be one of those kind of things where they were just going to go one time around. Larry almost exploded. 
Bruno, you know, made you know made a motion for him to just be quiet that he'd handle it, and then of course it turned into the great angle it was. Now, you know, sometime after that, Bruno was supposed to open up the metal lanes and work against George Steele. Right. Um, the metal lanes, like every other building project that goes on any almost anywhere in the country, was very delayed. So Bruno hung on because he had promised to open the building up, like he opened up the Nassau Coliseum um, when it when it first opened. After that, he had a deal um, where he agreed to go work for Baba for 10 days as a final tour. When he got there, he found yes. out instead of wrestling Baba, he was going to be a tag team, cha- I mean, tag team partner of Baba's, which he was obviously fine with. He had a great respect for Baba. They never had anything more than a handshake agreement, or, and there was right. never um, a pre-discussed amount of fee on the front end. I want to be very clear. After the matches with Baba, if it was strictly up to Bruno... He would have never wrestled again, period. Now, for various reasons, yeah. all these other things um, were done, um, and Bruno did them, but it would have not been by choice. Bruno was somebody who actually wanted to walk away. Now, do I think he should have walked away? I, quite honestly, I don't. I, I, I didn't think he, was, he should walk away. He was still a great drawing card, and the WWF knew that. And so for various reasons, he would, he would get back in the ring yeah. and, 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 and do things. And you know, you know Sal, he, it, it, it's that exact reason, Sal, that I think Bruno should have walked away and left on top. I think had he done that when he chose to, we would talk. We would be talking about a very different Bruno. He, he was already legendary. He's already iconic. This would put him into almost godlike territory. And in, well, in some fans' minds, he he is he's in in that that stratosphere now. But well, you know, I, I, course, tell you. I believe uh, Bruno's last official match actually did take place uh, in the Meadowlands, and his tag partner was Hulk Hogan of all people. I think that was Baltimore. Yeah, it was, that was, it, was Baltimore in, it was in it was in Baltimore against I think. One man gang, yeah. Bundy and the gang, Baltimore, and uh, I just, I just had to jump in because I know that story well. Because guess what? About about two or three weeks after that match is when I was a very young guy and I met Bruno Sammartino at the wrestling convention for fans at the Ramada Hotel. It was headlined by Bruno Sammartino. Uh, Killer Kowalski was at the convention. A young Scotty the Body that would become Raven was there. Uh, he hadn't won a match yet. Tom Brandy was there, uh, and some other uh, wrestling folks were there. Very interesting convention. But even as a young kid, um, when we knew that Bruno Sammartino and Killer Kowalski were going to be in the room, we had never seen them wrestle each other, me and my friend that were there, my friend Randy. But we were we were afraid that Bruno and Killer were going to start beating each other up in the middle of this convention <laughs> and because because the folklore of wrestling was so strong. That we thought oh, that, sure. that that these two old guys were gonna not too old, but these two guys were gonna tear into each other. These old enemies is what I meant. Mikey it was believable. It was believable, and, and that's the thing about Bruno Sal. He was believable. He he was uh, he was very believable, and he was a legitimate strongman. Now you know what I can tell you about the Baltimore thing is when Bruno got. I think they were in Houston the day before. He thought he was going to Baltimore to do some promotional stuff. When he got there, Monsoon let him know that he was teaming with Hogan, and, you know, so he needed to work. And at that point is when he finally drew the line in the sand. He said, listen, 
this is it. I'm after tonight. I'm done. It doesn't matter if you advertise me somewhere. I'm, I'm not going to be there. Make sure they know yeah. that. So, so that was, um, that was, uh, you know, that was that, but, um, you, you know, look, a whole generation got to see him, but he would always say to me, Sal, you never saw me in prime in my prime when I was doing all kinds of different things. And, um, but you know, when you talk to these guys, cause all these guys worked for me and they were friends. When Paul Orndorff first came to the WWF, me and Off of the Wild Samoan were in the Allentown Airport waiting for him to come down the escalator. So I met him in the WWF territory before anybody there met him. And uh, you talk to him about working with Bruno. He was always thrilled to death. You talk to the honky-tonk man, he'll tell you about how yeah. Bruno had to be thrown as a substitute because somebody couldn't make it. He said, oh, we didn't even have time to cut promos. All they yeah. did was put put a, a little crayon on the bottom of the screen saying that Bruno was wrestling me. We still sold the place out. These exactly. guys were all just as happy to have the chance to wrestle Bruno. Like, I got a chance to referee the match where Bruno was the uh, was the second for his son. You, you know, so yeah, sure. for all of us, fine. But Bruno had a look. He just didn't want to be remembered like some of the guys that were hanging on. Uh, yeah. longer than they need, than they needed to, and he just so he always made himself that promise. And even though he wasn't doing things anymore, taking backdrops and and doing all the things that he did when he was young, the bottom line is his matches were always very exciting. The people believed, and he gave it he gave it everything that he had. Um, and I'll you know, tell you he what, wasn't going to let anybody show him up. He he sure didn't. And I'll tell you what. Uh, we barely scratched the surface. Uh, at some point, Sal, I would love to have you back on. Um, sure, whenever you like. Terrific. Well, I'll tell you what. We're gonna we're gonna call it a, a night for this show. Um, the book is Bruno San Martino, the autobi the autobiography of wrestling's living legend, and the author is Sal Carrente, uh, edited by Colin Bowman. Mikey, any questions or comments before we say goodnight to Sal? Well, I just definitely want to thank you, Angelo, for having me on this show this week. Uh, tag teaming. Uh, my, I'm the substitute for Jeff the Ref. Give give Jeff the Ref our best. And Sal, uh, really looking forward to reading your book. And uh, I just, for those that need a little bit of evidence that I, I just the, the Piper's Pit with uh, Bruno San Martino, I want to say from Nassau Coliseum, I want to say from 1985, maybe 86, but if people can find that, it's a very simple uh, video to find. Piper's Pit Live Arena with Bruno San Martino, and it is uh, it is loaded. It is vintage uh, Piper heel, and Bruno more than carries his, himself very well in that segment in front of a live, uh, probably 18 or 20,000 people and th those were the days uh, everybody are you and, talking uh, about the one where he where he called bruno a stupid wop uh, yes. i am yes but yeah that, was... that would be um, that would be madison square garden not nassau coliseum well thank you sal madison square garden can you imagine the emotion of people going to that show uh you can feel it through the through the video uh even now 30 something years later that people are so behind bruno when he's dealing with at this time, who was deemed to be the young punk Roddy Piper, and people wanted Bruno to kill this guy, and that's the real. Well, and, and don't forget too, the garden was ninety percent Italians. <laughs> and Piper and Bob Orton you know, are lucky they get out of there in one piece. You know, Bruno when he appeared at the garden, 
Every Italian in the five boroughs of New York came out to see him. Well, they um, they loved him, and you know the one thing that I will um, that I will close with because it was always such a, a funny uh, story to me is you know Bruno and Lou Albano, and there's a whole there's a whole much larger story to the whole thing, but Bruno and Lou Albano got along very well. It was Bruno that actually got Lou to start managing. Because at the time, Altimore was the was the mouthpiece for the Sicilians, yes. not Lou. But Bruno knew that Lou could do this could do this job. But I guess I, I guess Lou came up with it. At some point, he did an interview and said, "I'm so embarrassed to be an Italian. I want to change my name to Lou Alban." I mean, the the fans, according to Bruno, just went nuts, you know, <laughs> because the Italians, you know, just. I just get such a kick. Yeah, you know, Lou was hysterical. I mean, I got to tell you. Yeah. He, he was so, so funny. I mean, a lot of times he would repeat stuff, but he really, sure. really was funny. And the, and the real test, and Bruno always says why Lou was the best manager, is because, and it happened a lot, when things were down in April normally, Lou would be asked to put on the tights. When somebody couldn't make it, they didn't get somebody else. Hey, Lou, can you fill in with your tag team? Hey, Lou, can you, you know. Because they knew people just wanted to see anybody kill this guy. You know, I mean, right, look, there were sure. five shows I remember. They had Lou Albano in the ring against Andre the Giant to measure this. I mean, manager, even though it's a spot show, it's not the garden. You know, you got how many guys in the territory? Well, let's let Lou because the people really want to see Andre kill Lou. You, you know yeah, what I mean? Absolutely. Whether it was two minutes or 20 minutes, people were just happy for Lou to get beat up. So... You know, that, and that managing tandem, there's something we could talk about, but Freddie and Lou and Ernie, I mean, these guys were, were absolutely fantastic. Oh, yeah. But, uh, I know you guys are ready to wrap, so if you ever want to do this again, let me know. I appreciate oh, the kind words. You, Sal, you can count on a part two. That's, that's a given. Well, thank we, you very much, sir. We, we've barely scratched the surface. The book, once again, Bruno San Martino. The Autobiography of Wrestling's Living Legend, authored by Sal Carrenti, edited by Colin Bowman. Sal, thank you so much for joining us. We'll catch up with you later, my friend. Take care. You're welcome, and please give my best to uh, Davey O'Hannon in a couple of weeks when you have him on. I sure will. In fact, you know what? Why don't we do this while I got you here? Let's, uh, let's commit to having you and Davey on together. I'm sure he would love it. Great. Be more than happy to. Terrific. And so we'll plan that show. I'll talk All to right, Dave. Thanks. Thank you very right. much. You're quite Thank welcome. You. Good night, Sal. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you. Good night, Mike. Good night. All right, Mike. It's just you and I, my friend. That was fun. Good stuff. That was a great interview. That was great. The funny thing is I, that's, that's the book I have is that first edition. I had to Google it because I was so con I was a little confused. So I have that first edition that that he was yeah, talking there's about. a couple different covers. Yes, yes. The cover I have is Bruno in a suit, like uh, age fifty five or sixty or something, and right so leaning on the ropes. I could. I. It's kind of like the Arn Anderson book. It's kind of like that. Yeah. It doesn't break kayfabe, but anyway, I'll I'll make sure and get uh, Sal's version. It does sound pretty awesome. Yeah, it's an amazing book. It's uh, it's the uh, it's the cover of Bruno in the ring, uh, in the thinker pose. Yep. And, yep. Uh, so let us uh, before we sign off, let us 
Make sure that we uh, get all of Mike Messier's uh, social in here. All your uh, film festivals. My God, you're, you've got like 3,000 film festivals you're doing right now. Yeah, I'm going to be in um, North Carolina on February 15th for the Mad Monster Party Ball, Charlotte, Charlotte North Carolina. Uh, I believe it's, I believe, I want to say it's the Sheraton Hotel, but just look up Mad Monster 2020, Charlotte, North Carolina, February 14th through 18th. The Saturday, the 15th at uh, 4.30, I'll be sharing the world premiere of Oxbaker, one of the boys, and I will be doing a Q&A. So if there's any wrestling fans uh, there's going to be Apollo Creed uh, actor Carl Weathers from the Rocky movies will be at this convention. Um, there's going to be some other horror film legends. Uh, some beautiful women uh, are featured as well, and uh, w women actresses, I should say, not just random women, but you know, women in the in the in the convention world of horror and wrestling. And so I'm going to be there. You get a chance to meet Mike Messier. Uh, of course, my own film festival, Avalonia Festival, Film Festival. You can find that on distancefromavalon.com or avaloniafestival.com. I've got my theater festival coming up in June. If anyone's in the Jacksonville, Florida area and wants to be part of a theater festival as an actor or director, behind-the-scenes person, uh, that's not coming up till June 13th. Uh, script uh, submissions are still being accepted for another six weeks or so. Uh, and MikeMessier.com has got all your Mike Messier needs, wants, and desires. Anytime you want to find out about Mike Messier, if you want hours, literally, uh, Angelo, hundreds of hours of entertainment, uh, watch Messier Mantra. Watch, watch all the Messier Mantras. You'll meet a lot of interesting people through that show. I think it's fair to say that Mike Messier is all over the place right now. Yep. And uh, <laughs> if this doesn't garner you some kind of attention by the Academy, my friend, then, then they just don't know what good art is. Well, Angela, I appreciate you saying that. And and uh, I won't give the title on the air right now, but I've been working on a screenplay now for about three weeks that in about a week I'll be sending to you. Uh, we won't say the title or the theme of that script, but I'm looking forward to your feedback on it. So we'll keep people uh, abreast of that. Angelo's going to take a read of this script that I've been working on and see what he has to say about it. And so uh, onward and upward. Absolutely. It's, uh, it's, I want to tell you what, and I, I've actually seen, and I want to tell everybody before I get into that. Um, there's a, a kind of an autobiographical film Mikey did that's called, what is that Mikey, The Vampire, what is it? It's, it's a dis Disregard the Vampire. Disregard the Vampire, yes. Mike Messier documentary is the full uh, th This is as close to Mike Messier as you're going to get because Mikey keeps things close to the vest. But I think he, uh, he opened up in this in a kind of a creative outlet way of letting you into his soul. Then you, you'll find out who Mike Messier is and how he operates and why he does what he does. He's a fascinating guy and I am honored and pleased to call him my friend and have him as part of our show. Also, speaking of which, uh, Mike is also part of the Vince Russo brand. Uh, and uh, I believe Ox Baker, one of the boys, is on the Vince Russo brand as we speak. That's true. If, if and people, yeah. you, you're also 
uh, a guest on Monty and the Farrow, our friends uh, <laughs> Jimmy Farrow and Mike Monty. I love Monty and the Farrow. They're great guys. I think they're roasting me tonight because I did this uh, video about uh, offering to buy John Cena a uh, fried chicken sandwich at Hooters in Charlotte, North Carolina as a way of, of uh, bridging the gap. John Cena actually legitimately blew me off uh, years ago. And people can find that, a personal message to John Cena on Mike Messier's YouTube channel. Unfortunately for me, uh, my professional wrestling storyline for WWE that I slaved over for months and uh, could really save the business creatively at the time, uh, apparently John Cena did not agree. So uh, Monty the Pharaoh took interest in that. Uh, Mike Monty has, I think they're kind of roasting me on the show tonight, but that's okay. Uh, but I, I, it is a thing, uh, Angelo, that is troubling to me because as a writer, you always have what's called pride of authorship. And when Bruno and uh, Sal were talking about, they really didn't have that pride of authorship of the first version of, yeah. the, of Bruno's book. I don't have pride of authorship of what the WWE has been doing for the last 15 or 20 years because I know that I could do better. And I have written better, but uh, not being hired by them is frustrating for me. But I'm taking my, my creative talents uh, to, to this project I mentioned to you, Angelo, that you'll be checking out in a, in a week or so, and uh, all the other things that we've talked about. Fantastic, Mikey. Well, everyone, uh, you've got Mikey's uh, info. Uh, of course, you know, MikeMessier.com. That's the main hub. Main where hub. Where you can find everything about Mikey. And for Wrestling With The Future, it's at Twitter, Wrestling Future. Facebook.com forward slash wrestling with the future. Uh, you can find us on Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Podbean, and Podbay, and wherever you find your podcast. We are all over the medium. We're on every platform. We are on YouTube. This show will usually drop on uh, Wednesday morning and Friday morning. Uh, you can catch us uh, every week, every Tuesday, every Thursday. We do a video format. We do an audio format. We uh, have an amazing couple of weeks coming up. Next week, ladies' night, we're having all the women here. We've got Casey Carlisle, Princess Victoria, and Sorceress Morgan talking about women's wrestling. Later that week, we will have an in-depth one-on-one interview with Rico Costantino, former WWE, WWF star, former American Gladiator, former bodyguard to various high-profile celebrities. Rico will talk all about that next week. That's going to be a really interesting show. I'm looking forward to that. And we also have a special announcement tonight. Jeff the Ref Robinson, as you could tell by now, is not here tonight. Jeff is actually recording his own show, The Ref's Roundtable, that will be heard on our network. So uh, I'm giving Jeff his own format to vent and rant, and that ought to be fun, Mike. <laughs> I'm sure it is. I'm sure, I'm sure Jeff's going to do a great job. But oh, Angel, yeah, he will. I love Jeff. He's a, he's a great guy. Angel, um, there's one other thing that you should mention. Oh, yes. We have our first official merch. We have the Wrestling With The Future t-shirt is now available. We are uh, 
We're proud to announce that it is our logo on a shirt. Uh, they are available in large, extra large, and 2X. And I had a special made just for Jeff. It's a one-of-a-kind 6X. There you go. And it looks like a pup tent on me. <laughs> well, but hey, uh, uh, we will have that, and that'll be up on our uh, on our Podbean website. That's our main hub, uh, and of course on on Facebook. That's uh, that's where you can find us on social media. Wrestling with the future uh, on Facebook. Just search us. We're we're everywhere. It's a sharp looking shirt. Us, do a Google search or Yahoo, and uh, we are the first ones to pop up. So, on behalf of Mike Messier, I am Psychic Medium Angelo. Goodbye, everybody. Good night, and we will see you at the matches. Happy wrestling, folks. Bye-bye.